Hey there, welcome to the Clyde Podcast. I'm Willow Weston, the founder and director of Clyde, and I just got to sit down with Stephen Argue, who's a thought leader, researcher, speaker, and author with decades of on-the-ground ministry experience with adolescents, and he's the co-author of 18 books, including Growing With and Sticky Faith. He's uh, the applied research strategist for Fuller Youth Institute and associate professor of youth, family, and culture at Fuller Theological Seminary. He has so much experience. Like he just drops gold, gold, gold. So much wisdom. I took so many notes. And if you are in a parenting place where you need some hope and you need some encouragement, you're going to get that today, but you're also going to get uber challenged. I know that I was. He truly is going to call you to shift and invite you to grow with your kids. So take a listen. And friend, if you love this podcast, make sure that you share it with a friend who you think needs to hear it. And also, if you're a parent, hop on our website at wecollide.net. And for those of you who are moms on the go, we have a free mom's Devo that you can grab and so many other resources to meet you where you're at. Check out this conversation that I just had with Stephen Argue. Steve, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast today. You and I were just sharing. You're in sunny Pasadena, California, and I'm in like cold, rainy Pacific Northwest weather. I can see the sun shining behind behind you, and it's just good to be with you. Your smile's so big. I've been stalking you and reading up on all that God's doing through your life, so thanks for making time for this conversation today. Willow, I have been looking forward to this conversation with you. I've been stalking you, and you've just had some great conversations with people, and I love um, your messaging and the ways that you're inviting uh, people into better and generative conversations. And so I feel really fortunate um, to be here with you, and I will do my best to send California sunshine up to the Pacific <laughs> Northwest, which is a very cool place where a lot of cool people uh, live. A lot of my friends are up there as well. I can already feel that sunshine. Steve, you have written so many books about parenting teens, and I'm curious if you can kind of invite us into where you learn so much about teenagers and how God called you into this work. Yeah, um, thanks. You know, I, I think if you were to ask most uh, professors uh, how they ended up studying or teaching what they did, it would probably turn into some sort of autobiography, because I think... Uh, I remind my students all the time, uh, usually we study the things that haunt us, the things that keep us up at night, the things that are important to us, um, perhaps something that we've studied or read or we've experienced. And for me, um, eventually I, I was a, a youth pastor um, and I worked closely with teenagers for, uh, for a pretty long time. And, uh, and then through that, trained youth pastors and um, you know, I think some haunting questions kept coming up, uh, questions that teenagers had, questions that teenagers had who went off, uh, graduated high school and perhaps went to college or something else and came back with new perspectives on life. And, um, and these teenagers have parents as well that also had a ton of questions. And so I think in my own attempt to help uh, the teenagers that I care about and the parents uh, as well was to try to search out some of these questions. And then on top of that, I mean, I'm a dad, like, you know, the work that I do isn't just to help other people, but in many ways it's to help me be 
uh, a better uh, person to um, to my kids as well. And I have I have three daughters and a son-in-law, and so uh, and they are awesome. And uh, I'm constantly um, trying to be better at uh, who I am as a person, and as a professor, and as a researcher, and all the things that I do. So um, so I'm driven um, to come up with great answers uh, for myself and for the people that I care about. And um, I just really love what I do. Mm-hmm. I also love that you're talking about kind of maybe your start was in youth ministry, but a lot of people, and in fact, youth ministry is known for it. I was in youth ministry back in, you know, the nineties and early two thousands, but a lot of people don't last in youth ministry, but you have this sort of vantage point because you've sort of stayed there. And so you've been able to observe the, the work and the life and the reality of what happens when people experience church and youth ministry and then leave as young adults. And does their faith stick? How do they find God? Culture has changed. And so you've had this like this vantage point because you've stayed there. Yeah, I think, I think, Willow, I think you just called me old, but in a really nice way. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Old and faithful. Uh, You are not old. (laughs) No, but so many people exit. And so it's hard to see sort of the long-term experience of faith for for kids, which is what we're going to talk about today. I noticed you talk about parenting and emerging adults. That's, that's a phrase that you use. And and I read that as a parent, I have two kids, a Uh a 19 year old and 17 year old, and it almost feels purposeful that you almost want parents to, to remember, like you're parenting someone who's going to become an adult. Like it's an intentional perspective shift that you're inviting us into. Tell us a little bit about parenting and an emerging adult. Yeah. Great question. So, um, you know, I think that typically when we think about young people, we think about teenagers uh, or adolescents and, uh, which is great. Um, and there's a focus and a need, particularly when our kids are, um, are in their teenage years. Um, they're going through um, y- unique things in their lives, uh, asking certain questions. And as a parent, we have to sort of show up in a particular way to uh, to help them. Uh, I think that some of my work uh, focuses on uh, what is more of an academic term, this idea of emerging ad- adulthood or emerging adults. And this is usually the 18 to 30 year old. So this is um, those that are sort of working through their third decade of life, which um, some would argue is also developmental in nature, where um, the 20s are a time when um, young people are still uh, trying to find their way to adulthood. Um, The cues for what it means to grow up and be an adult in our society, especially our Western society, has changed. So if you were to say to a young person, why don't you just, you know, why don't you just grow up and get a job? Uh, A lot of um, people in their 20s would be like, I'm not even sure what you mean by growing up. And just because I get a job doesn't mean that I feel like an adult yet. And so what's happened is is because there's been um, a blurriness in society as to what it means to grow up. Uh, young people had to sort of take that on themselves and to find their way, oftentimes with less support. And so what we have found is that this puts a tremendous amount of pressure uh, on on young people in their 20s. But it also puts uh, pressure on parents as well, because all of a sudden, the relationship that parents have with their kids in their 20s in particular is changing. 
So I have a lot of parents that ask me, well, what am I, what kind of parent am I supposed to be as my kid graduates high school and goes on to what's next? Is it bad if they want to come home and live with us again? What does it mean for me to, um, to challenge them to new heights, but also be sensitive to the fact that maybe they need more support? And so I find that sometimes a lot of parents are really wrestling with that because it was different for them when they grew up. And what I try to remind parents and leaders all the time is this, is that just because you were a teenager or a young adult once doesn't mean that you necessarily understand teenagers and young adults today. Now, there might be some aspects where you do, but, but life and culture has changed so much that sometimes what I remind adults is... Uh, we, we think we're, we're building bridges when we say things like, hey, you know, when I was your age. And I think the idea is, is like we're trying to show empathy, like when I was your age, oh, I remember, you know, being a teenager or whatever. That actually isn't a bridge builder. It's actually a barrier builder for a lot of young people because, uh, you know, our, our kids are like, when you were my age, there wasn't internet. When you were my age, like the, the social issues that we're facing, you didn't face in the same sort of way. When you are our age, the, the world and the way the globe worked is different than it is now. And so uh, sometimes they, um, they don't find that as helpful. They actually find that as uh, almost mis us misunderstanding. And I think as adults, sometimes we can uh, reminisce on our teenage and, uh, and emerging adult years as the best times of our lives. And they were pretty amazing in some ways. But they're also some of the most challenging times of our lives that we don't always remember. And this is where we have to like, pay a little bit closer to attention to our teenagers and our emerging adults and um, really ask some questions about how they're really doing. Because um, if we assume that their lives are just like ours, or we assume that they're doing really great, that's when we begin to miss maybe some of the challenges, the things uh, that they're really working through. And we miss the opportunity to show up where they say they need us the most. And that's really, really key, I think. It's so interesting because, and I love that I personally get to talk to you because I'm moving into empty nester life in the next yeah. year. And I have all these girlfriends that are. So I was just on, on the phone with someone last week who was like, you should write a book on empty nesting because I can't find any. So now I'm just going to point everybody towards your books after this <laughs> conversation. But what I'm hearing in the conversations I'm having with women who are kind of shifting into, I have this young adult child, 18, 19, 20, right? Like the yeah. decade that you're talking about. Yeah. And it's almost like, and I'm just putting this to words right now, we're having an identity crisis. Mm -hmm. Like the parents are like, I don't know who to be or how to be in this relationship that means more to me than anything, because something just shifted. Yeah. And I don't know if I should be friend. I don't know if I should just be refuge when someone needs it. I don't know if I should push and encourage. I don't know if I should continue to give advice to um, uh, what seems like a boy in a man's body who thinks they have it all figured out, but they don't. And so women are coming to me and saying, and I'm saying it too, like, I don't want to blow this because I still want to be close to my kid and have good, solid relationship, but it feels really tricky. Like there's a line yeah. 
within yeah. which you can encourage and support. And then it's over the line and then you kind of create distance and, and it's a shift. Whereas before parents kind of knew, like, I know my role, I parent, I teach, I'm, I guide, I do all these things. And now when they get older, it's kind of like, who am I? What do I do? You know, yeah. it's not even that the kids are having as much of a hard time as the parents. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm so glad you brought that up. And I, I think that you and your peers are in a very unique uh, period. And we, um, in our work at the Fuller Youth Institute, as we put this book together, this book is rooted in research. We um, did a nationally representative uh, research uh, with uh, faith communities around the country, but then we also interviewed a bunch of parents um, with some of our concepts as well. And what we discovered was was exactly what you're saying. And um, the way that we try to frame it uh, in the book, Growing With, which the title is really intentional. It's this idea of that we are constantly growing with our kids, but that is a dynamic relationship because our kids are changing and we are changing and therefore the relationship is changing. So we have to sort of think about this sort of in motion relationship with our kids. In the book, we talk about this idea that when kids are in their teenage years, we call them learners. And as learners, they're discovering things for the first time. They need more of our help. They need more of our attention as parents. A lot of times we have to sort of um, kind of map out for them what it means to um, uh, be organized or work through a tough situation or clean their room or multitask or whatever it might be, right? I mean, those are things that they're learning um, probably in their teenage years. Uh, but eventually, like 18-ish time frame, and you know, it, it, there's early adapters and uh, late bloomers always, but uh, after the learner comes this idea of um, what we would uh, call an explorer. And an explorer is sort of the early 20s. This is when the world begins to open up to them. They have a little bit more confidence in who they are. Um, they want to do some things on their own, but they also are inexperienced in some things of life. So um, explorers want to explore, and they are. this is a time of great excitement, but also heightened anxiety that they don't want to blow it themselves. And then you have a focuser, which is later 20s. They more, have more of a sense of themselves, um, and they're finding focus in some ways. They, um, they're grieving certain things of their past, and they're also excited about some of their choices as well. What's interesting is this, is that a learner kid needs a teacher parent, right? A, a, a good teacher, someone that understands how to help them succeed and begin to develop habits for themselves, right? And so we play this role as a teacher, especially when our kids are, are teenagers. When a kid moves from, from, a, from a learner to a, an explorer, though, a teacher needs to become a guide. Now think about like maybe you go on a hike or like, um, or like on, in the city or out in the, you know, in the mountains or whatever. A good guide is someone that knows when to let the explorer run ahead. And when things get technical to kind of say, hey, wait a minute, you've never done this before. Let me show you through this pathway and then you can do it next time, right? Do you, do you notice what's happening there? The role of the parent moves from teacher to guide. And I'll tell you what's really hard about this. And maybe this, this is what came, this is what reminded me of this when you, when you brought this up. Like when my kids were teenagers, I felt like I I found some ways that that worked. I had parenting tools that seemed to succeed more than fail, right? And I was like, all right, I think I got this down. But then something happened. The tools and the approaches that I had when they were teenagers didn't seem to work as well as they got older. And I began to feel as a parent, like I was failing as a parent, like 
my kids don't like me anymore. I'm not doing anything right. I thought I had this down and I don't. Maybe I've blown it as a parent. Um, but what actually is happening is this, is that the tools that I was using when my kids was a, were a teenager, I have to lay down and I have to pick up new approaches, new tools, new postures, and new relationship with my kid as they move into this new stage of life. So here's the encouraging news. We could look at this as like, oh my gosh, that sounds horrifying or terrible, or my gosh, I can't believe that I thought I had it all figured out and I don't. You can look at it that way, or we can look at it as, wow, my kids are growing up. They need me in a different way than they did before. I don't treat them like a teenager anymore. I'm treating, treating them now like an emerging adult. You see the difference? So when we think of it that way, we feel less guilty about our parenting and recognize the fact that we're in motion and we have to just keep reframing our relationship with our kids so that we can show up um, where they need us and we can continue to cultivate that relationship. And I don't know about you, but that just for, for my, uh, my colleague, Kara Powell and I, that was just freeing for us to kind of talk about this. You know, she's got teenage kids. I, uh, now that are in their twenties, I have mine that are in our twenties and we would talk about parenting all the time. And I think what we begin to realize is that this in motion parenting leaves room for experimentation. It leaves room for grace. It leaves room for trying and trying again. And the, the what we tell parents all the time, it's like, just don't give up. Like your kids need you more than ever. They just need you in different ways. And we have the joy and the challenge of trying to figure out what that looks like. Stephen, this is gold. I, I mean, I'm being serious. I think so many women and men need to hear this and read your book. You're inviting us to shift. And I think whether many of us know it or not, and I'll even speak for myself, as I have a son who's 19, he went off to college for one year, moved back home, living in the basement, major yep. adjustment, lots of shifting. Um, the dynamic, the, the parent-kid dynamic has been a lot about, I teach, you learn. The, the, yeah. In the right. sense, it's like, you're the one that's changing. You're the one that's changing and I'm staying constant. I'm being a constant support and, and refuge and I give you wisdom and all, I invite you into faith and all of those things. Yep. And you're actually saying, no, the hopeful idea in all of this is that actually the invitation is that the parent has to shift. And that's where the hope and the close relationship will stick is when we're willing to make the shift. It's when you as a parent are unwilling to make the shift. Cause I'm seeing this in, in some of the people I know's relationships with their kids, if they're unwilling to shift and allow their kid to move into exploring and yeah. falling flat on their face and making mistakes and trying new things and trying to wrestle out their faith, if they're unwilling to make that shift, that's when relationships get closed off. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, let's just be honest. I, I, I'm, af I'm afraid for my kids. I, I don't, I want them to mature without having to go through any hard things. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's just not the way life works. Right. Um, and so I, I think what we realize, and I know you want to talk about faith in a little bit, I think we realize that the faith journeys of our kids affect us as well. Like our parenting is an act of faith of trusting that God is pursuing our kids 
and that God has a, a hope and a vision for them as well. And, um, and it's not going to be the same as ours. And so sometimes we just have to kind of recognize that with that is going to come highs and lows and bumps along the way. That not only is a challenge for our kids, but it's also a challenge for us as well. Perhaps it will challenge some of our assumptions about how we think about God or faith. It may challenge our assumptions about how we think the world works, right? And um, we can either try to shut that down and control it, or we can recognize the fact that perhaps that's the spaces where God is trying to speak, not just to our kids, but to us as well. And that is beautiful and hard and challenging all at the same time. But I don't know about you, but there's been nothing that has challenged my own sanctification, my own like following of Jesus more than being a parent, right? It brings out the best and the worst in me. Um, and, um, and, and that's okay, right? But maybe there's something quite powerful about that as well. So, you know, I think as parents, especially as we move from our kids moving from the teenage years into what's next is um, we just need to recognize the fact that we don't have as much control. And, um, and we have to just reimagine what that parenting um, sort of looks like. Yeah, I love that invitation. Before we move into talking about a faith that sticks, because I yeah. want to ask you about that. Um, yeah. I'm curious when I think about this concept of growing with, yeah. you have kind of like, here's your top three do's and don'ts. Like if you want to grow with, don't do these th three things. And if, <laughs> if you do want to grow with, do this. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think, uh, that's a great question. I, so maybe a couple things that, uh, you know, I think I've learned and we've studied and things that we think about, um, probably the phrase that, um, that has served my wife, Jen and I better than any other phrase with our kids when they were home was this. And we actually, um, we were so captivated by this phrase that we actually made a piece of art about it. We put it in our family room. Um, and it just had these three words, tell me more. The reason that was important is that my wife's a clinical psychologist and I'm a professor. People pay us a lot of money to tell them what to do, but our kids didn't seem to appreciate that. <laughs> so our kids would come home and they'd tell us a story and we would be like, okay, so here's what you got to do. Like and we would have like, we could back it up with like research, you know what I mean? And they would look at us like glazed over, like that didn't help at all. And we realized in that moment that sometimes when our kids reach out to us with a question or they're testing the waters of a conversation, that's not actually the real question they, they have. It's the question behind the question, but they're testing to see if we're ready for it. And so what we realized is that when we stop and instead of giving advice, just said, well, tell me more about that. How, how, how do you feel about that? What, what, what do you think you would do next? What, what, how are you thinking about that? They began to realize that we were interested actually in their process. And then we would find out what they really needed, perhaps our input on or how to think about something. And so I think what, one of the ways that we, uh, that we grow with our kids is to, uh, in some ways, uh, allow that opportunity to find out what the question behind the question is, because that's, um, I think, a great place uh, to go. So that would be one thing. Uh, probably another thing that um, I think we, I learned a lot, I mean, Jen and I both have learned this, but I think this was particularly important to me, was... Um, I think I just tried as often as I could to say yes to my kids. There's a there's a there's an impulse that we have as a parent sometimes, and I don't know why this is. We just say no, like because we're tired or because we just don't want to do it, or it just seems like more work or whatever. And I'm not saying that we're like we lavish everything on our kids. That's not what I'm saying. But I I think what I realized is that when my kid 
my kids would be like, hey, dad, um, do, do you want to go grab a coffee? Yes. I would come back from a run and my, my daughter would be all suited up. She's like, I was just going to go for a run. You want to go run with me? I'm like exhausted. And I'm like, yes. Um, hey, um, you know, uh, you know, I think we're going to have some friends uh, over. It's going to be late. Can they come over? Yes. Like, you know, I think... I think when we are open to thinking about ways that we can say yes to our kids rather than no, it creates opportunity for bridge building and connection in some ways that may surprise us. And I think that's something else that we probably um, really, really tried to do. Third thing really quickly is we just made our home a home where um, uh, our kids loved to bring um, their friends over to. Um, and we basically had this posture. If you are interested in your friends, we're interested in their friends and we want to get to know them too. And I think what it did, it allowed us to not pit ourselves against their friendships, but to begin to be a safe place where um, our kids would feel comfortable bringing whomever over. Um, and we could get to know them um, and their friends um, a little bit uh, better. Better, And those are just some of the sweetest moments that we've had. That's still sort of the way things work around here. Like our girls just don't really ask us to like bring a friend home for a holiday or a, a thing. They just know that there's always an open door here. And I, I think that, I think what that does is it, it, uh, it's, it's the antidote to barriers of living a double life for our kids because they then realize that they can trust us and they invite us into a broader sense of their lives. So I, I think those are ways that we've tried to grow with our kids um, is to just be open and responsive um, to those things. And, um, and there's more in the book, but that certainly is a, a couple of them that came to mind. Great advice. I love it. I'm I'm ordering your book as we speak. Um, <laughs> no, truly, I, I love it so much. We believe that God has something special in store for your life. Do you need some help discerning next steps in your calling or wishing that God could do something big with your life, but you don't know where to start? Or maybe you're tired, overwhelmed, or burned out and need some encouragement and inspiration to get back up. Whatever season or life phase you're in, we've got an incredible online course called Women of Impact that will equip and empower you with tools to fully live out your purpose in this life. This course comes with over 70 teaching sessions taught by over 50 incredible women and features topics like discerning direction, dreams and vision, health for a purpose, impact in every chapter, and more. You'll also get beautifully designed journals and incredible resource lists. This course was created for women on the go, meaning you can access it anytime, anywhere, on any device. Now is the time to get inspired and equipped to make an impact with your life. This robust course is available for only $149. You can learn more or register by going to wecollide.net forward slash women of impact. I want to kind of shift a little bit and talk specifically about faith. We obviously at Collide talk all the time about colliding with Jesus, this idea of running into him and allowing him to 
heal us and transform us and purpose us in our lives. And I've had several podcasts talking about inviting kids into their own faith. You share wisdom. You, you wrote sticky faith. You share wisdom on kids and young adults thriving in their faith. The stats look pretty bad on how many kids who grew up in the church and in faith uh, leave it. I'm curious, what are some of the key things you teach parents and youth leaders to help them help kids grow in their faith so that it sticks. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, Sticky Faith was a really important uh, book that we did a number of years ago. I was not an author on that book, but I was an advisor on it. And, um, you know, I think we care deeply about the faith journeys of, um, of young people. And I think that what really came out of some of the original research was this, this idea that if kids go to youth group, like they're going to just be all right. And this is where we begin to realize that, um, kids weren't always uh, doing that, and um, and there was a lot of reasons for that. It's 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 probably worth another podcast to talk about all of that. But I, I do think we recognize the fact, and we probably see this as parents, and probably your listeners as well, that kids lose interest, uh, perhaps in spirituality or in their faith. They don't want to go to church as much. Um, they raise questions that are kind of scary sometimes. And, uh, and so I think it's really hard as parents because, I mean, we've had parents say to us, like, look, I'm not a theologian. I, I don't know how to answer all these things. I love God. I want my kids to love Jesus. And, you know, I, we just feel kind of stuck sometimes. And, uh, and I think that's really fair. I mean, it's not easy being a parent these days, um, talking about faith because, um, faith is complicated and faith is, uh, is sometimes challenging and it's very personal. And, uh, and I think that sometimes people can get really defensive over it uh, as well. I think the way that I think about it from a parenting dynamic is probably like this. And maybe I'll just give you a couple of things to think about for uh, us to chew on. One is, um, you know, I think we just need to sometimes remember to treat faith as a language that we speak more than a topic that we teach. Okay. Um, there's some research, not ours, but um, um, others, uh, some uh, of the larger researchers, uh, research projects on faith and, um, and young people talks about this idea that it seems that oftentimes what happens is, is that young people have a hard time articulating their faith, not because they don't believe in God, but they just don't know how to talk about it. Um, faith in many ways is like a second language, right? Remember like when you were in high school and you took that second language and you knew it for a while and then you, then you like stopped talking about it and, or you stopped using it and then it just kind of went away. Right. Um, you know, you can kind of remember a couple of words, but you can't really, you don't feel very fluent in it. And I think in, in, uh, in, in families, I think parents can really help their young people become fluent in the ways that they talk about their faith. And that's nothing that dramatic. All it means is that we don't relegate faith to Sunday morning or youth group or whatever, but that faith is a topic of conversation that is part of our everyday lives. Simple things like, how can I pray for you? Or, um, you know, tell me what's going on in your life and how do you think that you know, affects the way that you believe in God or the ways that you, you think about your friend's faith or whatever. And I think what it, it allows um, kids to, to, to do is recognize the fact that um, this isn't an anxious topic. It's just part of everyday talking that makes a difference. It's kind of like, I mean, another way to think about it is like, you know, if, if you save like the, like the sex talk for like, like 
teenage years and you're going to have one giant text, you know, sex talk. That is going to be awkward. It's going to be scary. It's going to be misunderstood. And everyone's going to just hope they get through it. And then you can say that you've done that, right? But if you talk about um, sexuality, your body, you have like regular conversations with your kids about what it means to be sexual beings, you know, age appropriately when they are young till they grow up, what happens is, is that's just, that doesn't become a big deal. It's not so mysterious or scary anymore. And I think it's true with, with, uh, faith language as well, that if we, um, incorporate it into our everyday lives, especially when our kids are younger, but as it can continue, as our kids get older, um, it can make a dramatic difference, uh, in the ways that they actually think about faith, talk about faith, articulate faith, and then it doesn't seem to dissipate as much uh, uh, either. Uh, a simple thing to do is really as parents is just we can tell our kids like our own faith story. Like uh, you could just say to them like, hey, do you, you, you know, I like love Jesus, right? And they'll be like, yeah. And you'll be, you'll be like, do you ever know like how that happened? And they'd be like, I don't have any clue, you know? And then you can, you can like share a bit of their story. You don't have to sit them down and do it all at once. But over time, you can just kind of share why it's important to you, why you care about it, how you think about it, um, where it comes from. And then our kids begin to realize that faith isn't just the standalone thing, but it actually is part of your family's heritage. They've inherited something that was important to you um, that is a part of their lives as well, right? All of a sudden, church going to church then has meaning behind it rather than, well, we just have to go to church on Sunday because that's what you do, Right. Like teenagers especially are looking for deeper answers than that. And as parents, we have to learn to give that. And it's through these conversations that I think it can be um, really, really helpful. Some of the research that we've done. Yeah, you want to jump in? Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think in in some sense, you know, we have a God who meets us along the way. He, yeah. he says, come and follow me. And we share the same road as him. And journeying with Jesus is is like we're with him along the way and we can invite our kids into that as well. And I think when we turn faith into some sort of like a location on a Sunday or a performative, we have to perform for him or we have to check some boxes that we are agreeing to some contract. It's not a Jesus along the way. And so the experience in our faith of having a deep, rich relationship along the way and along the way has darkness and light it has mountains and valleys and it's very real the idea of god meeting us where we're at and so i i love the invitation that you're laying out for us to kind of invite them into faith language and to me it's really inviting them hey come and follow jesus with me and let's do this together it totally is. And like any language, it's going to start out awkward. So if you're a parent and you're like, okay, I'm going to try it. I'm going to give it like one shot. And if it doesn't work, then forget it. Like, I don't know who that Steve guy is. Like, no, no. I mean, it's going to take like a long time, but I think there's grace where you just kind of say, we're going to just keep, we're going to keep at it. And after a while it becomes um, more, uh, more fluent. And you just don't know what your kids are going to pick up on like i'll give you an example like um when my my youngest daughter was in high school we would um like where i worked and she where we went she went to school was pretty close to each other so we would drive into work and school together and um and i i would try um to ask her um hey so what can i pray for you today you know uh and then i would say hey here's what you can you know, pray for me or she'd ask me. Right. And, and we just kind of made that part of our ritual of driving into work together. Right. It wasn't long. It wasn't like deep, 
but it kind of was there. And I would try to then pray before we le- like I left the car. Like she would drop me off. That's kind of where the point we got at. That's the way it happens after a while. Like I don't have the car anymore, like my daughter does. But um, but um, but uh, I would pray something, and then I would always usually say at the end of the prayer, and uh, something along the lines of. Um, and help us live today in such a way that we make the world a better place. You know, that like, that's, that's what, like, was our hope. Like we would always kind of pray hopefully like that. Well, I remember driving in with her one time and I was like, it was a morning and something had happened where I was in a bad mood. Like I, I really didn't want to like talk. I didn't want to pray or whatever. And we, we kind of did it, but not really. Um, but then my daughter grabbed my hand and she prayed and then she prayed and may we live today in such a way that we make the world a better place. And I was just like, oh my God, like she's leading me, right? Like I I didn't set out to do that. I never expected that. But like, I think that when we're consistent, I think that uh, our kids pick up on more than we think that we do. And I think that's the hope we have to remember as parents is like, if you're looking for like the accolades, oh my gosh, you're such a great mom. You're such a great dad. You're probably not going to get it, but it doesn't mean that they don't appreciate you. It doesn't mean they're not listening. And the research would come to bear that the work that you do and that with your kids when they're at home stays with them, whether you realize it or not. And I think, I think we just have to remember that. And, and I, I would imagine some of your listeners right now, like they're, they're having a, a tough, a tough go. Like this podcast is like acid to your ears because there's too many nice stories. Like, it's not that way in my house or it's not that way with my relationship with my kids. Um, and I just, I guess I just want to say to those of you specifically, like don't give up. It's never too early and it's never too late to be the parent that you need to be to your kids. And they're listening and paying attention closer than you realize. And, um, and I think sometimes as parents, we just need to hear that. So I just want to share that too. That's so good. I was actually going to ask you because some are saying we're in the most unchurched, de-churched, anti-church generation that there's ever been. I don't know if the stats are backing that up. I'm sure you know, but I'm curious because I hear a lot of stories from young adults who felt really wounded by their parents when it came to how their parents talked about God and faith and, and what they should and shouldn't believe. And I guess I'm kind of curious, you know, where are we getting it wrong and what are some like, Hey, probably don't do this, but also if we recognize that maybe we have done some of those things, how do we begin to make repair? Because we were in a place where we were in a different place than we are spiritually than we are today. And we recognize that maybe we got something wrong and we want to make repair in the hopes that that'll bring some spiritual healing to our kids. Yeah, that's such a good question. I, you know, I mean, let's just be honest. We've all made mistakes. Like as parents, we've blown it. There's no doubt about it. And I suppose we could beat ourselves up for that. But I think there's another level where we have to just kind of say, um, we are human like everybody else. And, you know, I think it's in those moments we can pretend like we didn't make mistakes or we can actually, you know, fess up to them. And I, I think that's part of it as well. It's not always bad for our kids to see us not perfect either. I mean, most of our kids are actually like, um, they're overwhelmed by perfectionism. Like they have a really, really hard time in this world because they think that average is unacceptable and perfection is the only way. If you don't have it all together, you're nothing, okay? There's something about us as parents to to be human 
that I actually think is liberating for our kids because it reminds them that we have limitations, that we don't do everything right. And uh, and sometimes we have to correct our, our wrongs. And I would say that maybe one of the best things that we can do um, as a parent, and I found that I had to do this more and more as my kids got older, is just to admit that I was wrong. Mm -hmm. to actually say I'm sorry. Um, and, um, you know, I think that to, to apologize is, uh, is something where I, I made sure with our kids that, um, you know, I think sometimes when we say we're sorry, someone will respond, well, it's all right. Don't worry about it. That's not the right response. The, the right response is I forgive you. Like we, we acknowledge the wrong. We, we say, I forgive you. And both parties need that. And so we learn how to give and receive, to extend forgiveness, to ask for forgiveness with each other um, in those moments. But I think you're right. I do think there's a lot of kids in their 20s that um, that feel hurt for a lot of different reasons. And um, what I try to tell ministry leaders all the time um, is to listen closely and parents as well. And actually, before you offer like a new program or the next new thing that you think that they want, to, perhaps it's just like saying, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm sorry. I apologize for maybe what I did. Or if it's not me particularly, I'm, I, I'm sorry for what you went through from other adults in, in your church. And, um, you know, I, you know, and, and to acknowledge the pain, I think that that's a really healing moment for, um, um, for young people, because I think, I think they know they're hurting uh, and they're trying to figure out, um, what uh, to do with that. And that's actually a really deep part of faith. Like um, in some of the work that I do, um, uh, when we talk about this idea of faith, it actually has three components. You know, it has the intellectual, it has the emotional, and it has the relational. All those are part of our faith journey. And what happens a lot of times, especially um, probably in some Christian circles, is we get kind of stuck on faith uh, as only the intellectual, right? So like if you think like your kid is doubting, what's the instinct that we have? We, we, we try to get them a book, we make them talk to our pastor, or we tell them to listen to a podcast, right? Do you notice what we're doing there? We're, we're in many ways saying, um, your beliefs are wrong, so we'll correct the way you think, and then all of a sudden everything will be right doesn't always work that way. Sometimes it doesn't have to do with the intellect and it actually has to do with the emotional or the relational. There's a, there's a deep wound. There's a, a feeling of insecurity or some um, a, a doubt that's going on in their lives. And uh, they need uh, people in their lives that are willing to step closer in those moments rather than then step away or to outsource the work that happens there as well. And so I think that's what's really important for us as parents as well. When we see our kids um, perhaps raising doubts or questioning their faith or whatever, I think that the instinct is to fix it or the instinct is to ignore it. Uh, and actually the best thing to do is actually step toward it. Uh, some of the work that I've done has so impacted me on that, that one of the questions that I, uh, I ask my daughters regularly is, so tell me something that you believe that you don't think I believe and see what they say. Okay. Now, so the reason interesting that you're asking that question, because that's what I was just thinking as you were talking is, do you think it's possible for us to not agree on everything and yet still agree on Jesus? I think a lot of parents and kids are getting in arguments because yeah. they are wanting, the parents are wanting to agree on everything and not leaving process for a kid to come to their own understanding of God. 
Yeah. And this is where, again, control sometimes gets in the way where we actually have to recognize the fact that our kids probably won't believe everything that we believe. We, I don't think I believe everything my parents believe and you probably don't either. Right. So along the way, they're making their faith their own. But I think what I wanted to remind my, my, my kids about was this, is that even if we disagree, what holds us together is our relationship and our commitment to each other, not our belief systems like that. That's going to ebb and flow. We may agree and disagree, and uh, and that's something that we have to work through. But they can come to me with their differing opinions and their doubts, and I am going to step toward them rather than away uh, from them. Um, we just we can't guilt and shock people into believing in Jesus, right? It's a it's a it's a muddling through, meandering journey um, that we have to trust God in the process of our own lives, but also our kids. Um, as well. But I, I think the thing that we've gotten wrong in a lot of our faith communities as well is that we have seen doubt as the enemy of faith when actually doubt and faith are friends. Like that's the way we grow. The, the conceptions that we have of God or the way the world works is constantly changing. One of the things that I, I tell leaders all the time, especially with emerging adults, is I, I say that emerging adults want a faith that keeps up with their increasingly complex worlds. Think about that for a second. Like, if I accepted Jesus as a grade schooler, that's great. That's fine, you know. Um, but that conception of God and faith isn't going to be able to handle the complexities of a 22-year-old that's thinking about their lives and um, and the world and like how they're trying to navigate living in it. Right? Their their faith has to grow with them, and so that growth only happens when I begin to doubt. And work through my doubts in order to find this uh, more complex and more reliable way that I think about faith. You know, a lot in the blog sphere and the podcast sphere, you know, we hear a lot about this idea of deconstruction, right? Uh, everyone needs to seem to promote that they're deconstructing. In my estimation, uh, deconstruction is like what we do. Like there's always deconstruction and reconstruction. There's a constant conversion that happens. The disciples say, you know, uh, to Jesus, like, help us overcome our unbelief, right? I mean, these are the disciples, right? So <laughs> I think that, that doubting has gotten a bad rap because we've seen it as unfaithfulness, but actually it's the places when things don't seem to work quite right. And we're asking um, for God to show up in new ways in our lives. And I think this is what our kids are doing all the time. But I'll tell you something, here's the emotional piece. A lot of young people feel guilty and ashamed because they think they're the only ones that are going through it. And the reality is, is that most of them are. But we have communicated to them that this is something that's bad or that you cannot talk about. And you certainly can't bring it up in a family system, system or a church. And so what do they do? Well, from, from, the, from the stats, they quote unquote leave church. But I, I think... I think it's not out of protest. I think it's out of like they're searching for a place to wrestle with the deepest questions that they have. They're actually on a faith journey, but they realize that perhaps maybe some of the spaces that they trusted before aren't willing to walk with them through these difficult times right now. And that that breaks my heart because I feel like like there are families and relationships and churches that could be such great resources for, for young people if we were just sensitive to the journeys that they were going on rather than making assumptions about what's actually um, what's going on there. So um, so how's that? That was a lot. But <laughs> I am taking ravenous notes. I There's so many things you just said. The 
the idea that they need their faith to keep up with a complex world makes so much sense. And right? you sort of challenging us relationships over being right. I mean, the idea of like, well, you can sit there and because you want to agree on everything, debate about Jesus, or you can sit in that moment yeah. and be like Jesus. And and that's, that's a, a powerful, way more powerful experience for both of you to be like Jesus in a moment where you and your kid don't agree. There's so many amazing things you just dropped. I have so many notes. I know people listening do. Uh, I know we could talk forever, but we can't. And so for those of us who are eating up every word you're saying, how can we get your books and follow you and all the things. Oh, well, it's so kind. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I can't believe how fast the time has gone. You've asked great questions <laughs> and I, I really appreciate your intellect and your, and your heart. And, um, and I just, uh, wish the best for, uh, your, all your listeners too, many of whom I, I'm assuming are, are parents of all ages. Like don't give up. Um, that's what we're all in this together. Um, so the book that my colleague Kara Powell and I uh, wrote is called Growing With, uh, and you can go to our website, growingwithbook.com. We've got a bunch of free stuff there, including uh, podcasts and videos from Kara and me, and then you can also um, order the book there. You can also order the book on Amazon or wherever you um, buy books uh, in hard copy form or Kindle or however you read stuff as well. So that would be a great um, uh, that'd be a great start. Uh, you can follow me on uh, uh, all social media at Stephen Argue S T E V E N A R G U E, and um, that's another great way to to keep up on the things that we're. Uh, that we're doing as well. Um, at the Furley Youth Institute, we try to ask the tough questions that parents and uh, ministry leaders are bringing to us. And then we try to provide resources to really um, help you all, because we really believe that you all are the heroes um, that are doing amazing thing and loving your kids like nobody can love their kids. And if we can help you be better at that, then, um, then we feel like we're doing a good job. So um, I hope mm. that we can do that for you. Well, you certainly just did. I'm so grateful that you're growing with Jesus. You grew with your kids and now you're calling us too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Willow. Take care. You too. Wow, wow, wow. I don't know about you, but I just, it's like my glass of hope just filled up and I know what I need to do as a parent. And I'm just feeling like the Lord is calling me to shift, shift, shift as my kids grow older and shift and wrestle and process. I don't know about you, but I so desire for close relationships with my kids. And I so want them to know Jesus, but I know that they have to have their own faith. And that's going to require me allowing them to explore and that shift to being a guide. What good wisdom and how how encouraging as we meet our kids where they're at and invite them into a faith that can keep up with a complex world. God is big and sovereign and wise and outlasts all time from beginning to end. He never changes and so he certainly can keep up with this complex world. So friend, I don't know where you're at on your parenting journey, but I hope that you know that Jesus is meeting you along the way. And he's inviting you to invite your kids to meet him along the way too. So keep colliding and he'll show up.